and welcome to Start Right Here, a podcast where we discuss breaking in, standing out, and the path to success in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I hope the conversations I have with my guests inspire you to forge a path of your own. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. I'm really happy to welcome today someone who I met during my blogging journey who has been an inspiration, not only to me, but to lots of people out there, particularly those with natural hair. Patrice Yersik, aka Afrobella, who's had an amazing career. And we're going to hear about how she got her start, what it's like to pioneer blogging in the natural hair space, and what she's up to now. So welcome, Patrice. Hi, thank you for having me. Can you give us your 30-second bio? I was born and raised in Trinidad and Tobago, specifically in Trinidad in the West, Port of Spain. I migrated to America in 1998 to attend the University of Miami. I did my undergrad in film script writing, double majored in creative writing, minored in sculpture. <laughs> then I decided I was offered the opportunity to stay and do an MFA in creative writing fiction. So I stayed, I did that, taught a couple of classes as part of my grad school. Then I left, I worked for an independent bookstore named Books and Books for a little while in Miami. And then I wound up getting a job at the Miami New Times as their assistant calendar editor. And that is where I began realizing that I can write not just about whatever people told me, but about anything. And I started my blog in 2006 while I was working at the Miami New Times. And it took me in a wildly different direction than I was heading in and led me into the world of beauty and blogging. And I became one of the first natural hair bloggers on the scene back in August of 2006. And that career continues to this day. And it's taken me to places I could never have imagined. Yeah, that's amazing. 2006. Oh, yeah. A lifetime ago. Yes. You've already answered it, but let's talk about was the beauty industry a destination or a detour? Were you always interested in beauty, natural hair? I was always interested in beauty and my background in the beauty industry is kind of colorful and unusual. So when I was growing up in Trinidad, my mom was always into beauty and makeup and stuff like that. And I wish I could ask her. Unfortunately, her memory is not great these days, so I can't ask her exactly how this began because she might not remember. But when I was eight years old, I worked in a cosmetic store. People don't do that, right? <laughs> so <laughs> it sounds crazy, but that was like my parents' chance to drop me off somewhere and do stuff that they needed to do, I guess. And my parents were very good friends with a gentleman named Frank Blake, Frank owned a store called Fabi Salon. Fabi is named after his daughter, Fabi. And it was a makeup and beauty perfume store in the major mall in Trinidad and Port of Spain called West Mall. It was called West Mall at the time. Now it's called The Falls. And unfortunately, I don't think Fabi Salon is a thing anymore, but that was the Sephora. That was all we had you know, like in the mall. So I was like their little mascot for the holiday season. I got to work behind the counter and my job was to help women figure out what lipstick they wanted, figure out what perfume they wanted for the Christmas season. And I definitely have very specific memories of products that I would encourage people to buy and swipe on lipsticks on people's hands and all of that. And that's how it all began for me. That's where I started falling in love with beauty and wanting to be in the beauty industry. It's a crazy story. If my parents were friends with somebody who owned a sporting goods store, it might have gone a very different way. <laughs> I love the idea of an eight-year-old telling me what lipstick to wear. And here's the fragrance. And serious about it. And making sales and pissing off the other saleswomen. <laughs> okay, so that is your first job in a lot of ways. What skill did you learn there that you took with you? You know, have you taken throughout all your careers? You know what I think I learned from that experience? And as young as I was, I learned that you could be any age and be unsure of yourself. You can be any age and not know how to make yourself feel beautiful and have to figure it out just like anybody. Because, I mean, me as an eight-year-old was like, oh, you should try this cotton candy lipstick on. And ladies would be like, no. I'd be like, okay, what about this one? Okay, what about this one? And I think because I was the, I'm the last of five children, and by a measure, my brothers ahead of me are 10 years older than me. I was the true 
surprise to my family. I think because of that, I always was raised to talk to older people and to not be afraid or not think of myself as too much of a child to have an older person conversation. You know, it gave me courage and it made me realize I can speak to anybody about anything. Like you might be older than me and you might be wiser than me, but I could still talk to you. I'm not afraid of you, you know? I think that's valuable. Let's talk about post-college. You were talking about you got your MFA in creative writing and you're working as a calendar editor. Did you continue to write creatively, like work on fiction projects and those kinds of things and journal? And then it kind of like was a eureka moment or was it that you saw some of the other stuff that colleagues were doing and you were like, I could do that? You know, I wish leaving college, I was like, okay, this is good. I'm going to be a novelist, right? I'm going to work on my novel. I'm going to work on my short stories. It's about fiction, fiction time. And that didn't happen. I still haven't published my fiction. I still have legions of short stories just piled up here. that I, I know they're coming, they're coming. But I left college in talks with an agent you know, in talks with publishing and all of that, the MFA guides you towards thinking that that is your next step. Well, my next step needed to be making money. My next step needed to be paying these bills. And my professors at the time didn't quite understand that because I think some people who are able to do those kinds of postgraduate degrees, you might have a nest egg or you might have come from a different path. So it's not like, oh, my God, I have to dig myself out of this pit right now, you know, whereas I was like, I have to dig myself out of this pit. I have to take care of myself. I remember getting in an argument with my graduate professor about that because she was like, you should just teach kindergarten or something for a little while. And I was like, and do what else? To, are you serious? <laughs> like, I, she didn't get it. So I needed to find a job. And that's where I was like, I need to apply for all kinds of stuff. I applied for the fellowship at the Miami New Times thinking, okay, I'll learn how to be an investigative journalist and that'll lead me into making some more money as a writer. Well, it turns out they didn't want me for that. And they had this opening that wasn't even open yet. Like they were trying to get rid of somebody. And that's where they were able to shoehorn me in. I came into an office that was like rife with office drama and politics and stuff that I was brand new to. And I was a brand new college graduate the only black woman. And it was just chaos and people hating each other and talking about each other behind their backs and writing about each other online sometimes. And it was crazy. So it was an interesting place to work. It taught me a lot. I feel like I might be getting into another question here. No, no, no. Because this is the skills you learned from jobs. So you got this job and you got there and did you have a sense that this was not the right place for you? <laughs> I used to cry. First of all, I couldn't drive at the time. So I was taking a bus in Miami. And if you've ever lived in Miami, you know that public transportation is not where it should be at all. So taking public transportation from South Miami, Coral Gables to downtown back in those days was awful. And some of the experiences I had were just like, still live in my mind like what was I doing but I would have to get to work every day and figure it out and also just seeing all of the different elements of what people were like but the point of that story was I didn't have a car to cry in I used to have to cry between other people's cars in the parking lot like that is how bad that job was you know I mean it was just a crazy situation to be in as a young woman and then I wound up making a lot of friends there and then I was able to go talk to them and vent with them and have moments with them and realize I wasn't the only one who was going through crazy stuff. But those first couple of months were just, woo, where am I? What is this? So did writing become an outlet or it was just you had to do something in order to like keep your sanity? Yeah, the job was really just write as much as you can and write as many different things as you can. And the job was the calendar, right? So the calendar section is everything that's happening for the week. And, and I realized quickly you know, those newspapers, you think like the long form stories or the music reviews or whatever, you know, those editors are walking around their chest puffed because they think that that is what people are picking up the paper to read. No, people are picking it up to read the calendar section to see what to do for the week. And then half the time they might even throw the rest of the paper away, which is a whole you know other thing. You know what I describe it as? I went to college to learn how to paint Jackson Pollock style large paintings. And then 
in the newspaper, I learned how to do miniature landscapes. So it's like that is where I was taught you have a 250 word word count. You have to make this sound interesting. You have a 500 word word count. You have to make this sound interesting and you have to get all the information in the who, what, where, why, how much, all of that in addition to your quotes. So that just sharpened my writing skills. It sharpened my interview skills. I learned how to interview everybody from the guy who makes honey and has a local business to which hot comedian is in town to have a little set at the comedy store. So it was everything. It was a range of stuff and it showed me where my interests were compared to what the larger interests of what people who actually picked up the paper might have been. And over time, my interests would align with what was happening. So one of the first times that that happened was when Lisa Price came to Aventura Mall to launch the perfume My Life with Mary J. Blige. And I had to convince my boss that that was a story for me, not just write, but to cover. And he was like, who's this? And he's a, you know, a white man in his 50s. He didn't care. You know, and I was like, this is the inventor of Carol's daughter. And he's like, who's Carol's daughter? I'm like, Lisa Price. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I wrote that story for the paper. And then I was able to make a contact there. And I think I had just launched Afrobella. Yeah. So let's talk about launching Afrobella. So how did that happen? And do you remember what your first post was? Oh, absolutely. August... 13th, 2006. We have a very good friend. My husband and I have a very good friend. We both went to University of Miami. That's where we met. That's where we wound up getting married right after school. And one of our good friends was one of our, uh, you know, he was he was there and everything. I was looking at one of our old wedding pictures and I'm like, there he is. He's in there. He's, in, he's everywhere. He's been one of our friends forever. This guy's named Aaron. So Aaron has always been into buying websites and domains. And he always saw that as a way to make money, always. And He's smart. <laughs> he's got some foresight there. That's good. He's still doing it to this day. Yeah, that's a whole other story. So anyway, Aaron taught me about the, buying these websites and was like, you know, you actually write stuff. Like he was buying stuff like stephenkingbooks.com, things based on SEO searches. Back in 2000. Five. Very smart. So he never wanted to be a traditional, I work in an office person. So he was always a creative friend to have and always kind of an interesting story. And I always used to be like, what is this guy talking about? But he was just the homie, you know? And he came over one night. I used to be, it was like a post-collegiate life. So come home from work and start cooking dinner and you don't know who's going to show up because it might be five people. So like, that's kind of the life that we were living at the time. So I used to cook a lot and Aaron would come over for dinner frequently. And that was one of the nights he came over for dinner. We were drinking wine, we were talking and watching something on TV probably. And he was like, you know, rambling on about his websites and telling me about this website and that website. And I was like, that's cool. That's interesting. He's like, well, why don't you have a website? What would your website be? It's like, I don't know. He's like, when you write stuff, what do you want to write about? It was like black beauty and natural hair and plus size style because I can't find information about clothes that are cute for my size and makeup that works for not just me. And I think that I may have even, you know, thought all shades of beautiful at that time, which has become a phrase that I see everywhere now. So we talked it through and we started to come up with names. He said, what would the name be? And I said, Coco Bella. We looked up Coco Bella, and that's a chocolate company. And as he pointed out, how do you spell it? How do you spell Coco? And we were like, okay, you're right. It's not that easy. It needs to be something that people can just say and know. And my husband looked at me, and he said, Afrobella. And that was it. Wow. That was it. We went on whatever domain purchasing site. We bought it. And I had to teach myself how to do everything. Were you on like Typeform or Blogger at the beginning? No, I was always WordPress. Like, okay, so you were really set up then. I was always WordPress and that WordPress was not easy back in those days because I wish I had, I mean, I don't wish I started on Blogspot or Blogger or whatever, but like a lot of people had those back then. And I didn't realize that that was the easier way. And if I had known that was the easier way, I might have gone that way. But I definitely remember staying up to teach myself HTML and not knowing how to do anything. My first post was like a manifesto. 
my first post is titled like India Iris said and it's about I am not my hair and loving yourself and figuring out and it gives the whole story of when I was three years old wanting to be Diana Ross in Central Park and I used to put a towel on my head and come down the stairs and sing I want muscles and all of this stuff. <laughs> but that was like an outlet for me to write about my figuring out what made me beautiful, you know, and figuring out what beauty was. And I remember so vividly, I was looking for the reflection of us in 2006. So I lived in Kendall in the back of Miami, which is not a cool part of Miami to live in. Um, no offense to anybody who lives in Kendall. But anyway, so I used to try to find black magazines and they were very hard to find. You would think Essence is everywhere. Ebony is everywhere. It was not. It was not. I would go to my grocery store. I would stand in that little aisle. There was an aisle where people could buy stuff, but you could also like stand and look at magazines. I'd always be in people's way. And I would be looking for because that was the only place they had Vibe Vixen. And that's why I used to go to that grocery store. Because they didn't have it at whatever reason. It wasn't at the Barnes & Noble. It wasn't at the big stores. They just had it at this one random grocery store. So I was getting my Vibe Vixen. I would get Essence. And I would thumb through those and look through those to see the one picture of a girl with natural hair in 2006. The one picture of a plus-size girl in 2006. And that's what made me realize there's other women like me who want to look cute all the time and don't want one tiny little picture of you and then a feature on Tyra Banks, the next page for the six pages. You know what I mean? So that's where it began, wanting to find that and create that reflection of myself. You did it for yourself in a lot of ways. What did it feel like when you realized that other people felt the same way and that you were attracting their attention and their following? It was a heady time because this was talking about before social media. So this is a time where we were searching legit searching for validation and for recognition and for a tribe. And we didn't have that meeting place for all to find each other easily. So it was kind of like when I'd find people in the comments who were leaving comments for me, I'd be so excited. And then I would go visit their site and then I'd add them to my blog role. And it was a different way of creating community. And it felt a lot more like community. You know, I was looking back on some of my old posts recently and seeing all of these names of people and little pseudonyms that we gave ourselves that I'm just like, what did that person wind up doing? You know, like you stopped commenting on my site 10 years ago, but I hope you're doing well wherever you were because you were one of the first people, you know, like, I mean, just the early days were it was a shock and a thrill every time somebody came to find me. I do remember trying to promote myself on forums. I got kicked off of the Naturally Curly forum for trying to tell them I had a blog. They've become more inclusive since then, and I've told them the story a few times. Back then, it was me. It was Motown Girl, who, unfortunately, her site is gone, but she was such a resource. It was Naturality as a forum. And there were Black beauty sites, obviously. Tia Williams, Shake Your Beauty, one of the first if not the first Black beauty site that I can recall. Back then, it was Nadine Jolie had her site. And then I think I started the same year, but later than Leanne Farbs and Julia Coney, because All About the Pretty and The Makeup Girl were my earliest peers that I could look to to say, oh, there's other Black bloggers who are writing about beauty but they were more focused on beauty and not natural hair and not other stuff. I wrote about culture and music and all of that from pretty early on. That's pretty exciting. And I think I started my blog in 2008 because that's when I left Real Simple. Yeah. And 2008 was a big year for blogs that started. Yeah. I started that Black Girl site in 2008, but I didn't write about beauty because you guys were already there. And I was like, okay, there's already people talking about beauty. So I just talked about like how the culture looked at Black women. And Black girls, but mostly Black women, like how it showed up in entertainment and how it showed up in workspace and in in the news. So it was fun while I did it. I mean, I really, really enjoyed it. And I probably would have kept doing it had not started working at Essence in 2010. I think I kept it till 2012, but I just couldn't keep both going. It was like Black girl during the day, Black girl at night, trying to be a Black girl. It was like too, too much. And I also had... It's funny that I'm doing a podcast now. I had that Black Girl Radio show then. 
So it was all thanks to Ananda Lee. So I was on her show and she was like, you should have a show too. So I had a show for a while and some of it is on Block Talk Radio to this day, which makes me crack up. But back to you. I think we met at the Blog Her in Chicago. Wow. Was that where we met? Mm-hmm. 2010 or something like that. Wow. 2009. Was that? Too th- I was 2010 because I had already moved here. So I moved to Chicago in 2009. I quit my job at the New Times in Miami, February of 2009. And that had a lot to do around the time of the inauguration of Barack Obama. My job did not let me go to events. I was like invited to actual things. And my boss, he literally looked at me and he said, do you think people care that much about the inauguration? I will never forget. Like really, I didn't realize how ignorant he was until he said that. And it was, my problem is once you say something dumb, I can't look at you like you're undumb, you know? And (laughs) pretty much once he said that, I was like, oh, that's how you think? I'm supposed to listen to you and respect you at work every day. I have to get out of here. So I, t- I started to figure out how to leave. Told my husband I can't do it anymore in February. He was like, okay. And then in March, he was like, I can't do it anymore. I was like, wait, what? And then we both quit our jobs, went on this 20-day road trip. And that was when Twitter started to become a part of my life. That was when I was sharing all of that. And people were like, oh, where is she going? What was she doing? But Pre-Instagram, but like early Twitter. And then we moved to Chicago. And I realized that I either needed to find a job or figure out what I was going to be. I went to several job interviews when I was here. And one was at Ebony. They didn't know what to do with me. They literally said, we don't know what to do with you. I wrote one article for them at the time. It was a sad commemoration of Michael Jackson's passing. So this gives you an idea of the time that we're in. So I think this would have been right around the time that we met. And... I realized I needed to start just writing for everybody and anybody and doing whatever I can and being a freelance mercenary is how I referred to myself in those days. And uh, I started writing for AOL Black Voices. Italia was launching Vogue Black. They reached out to me to help launch that, wrote them a couple articles. What else? Anybody I could, really. It was just a free-for-all and figuring it out. And then blogging began to become a thing with opportunities because before it was just like you do this for the love of it now it was like mac wants to do what (laughs) right so let's talk about like the opportunity that came but first let me ask you we're coming opposite a little bit i came from writing for magazines i had worked at magazines all my career and then blogging and it was like my personal take i could never go back after i mean my personal take always found its way into my writing after that. But what was it like to, at the same time, because you were the freelance mercenary, like writing for these, and then also keeping your blog up, how was it working with media properties? They didn't have the level of respect and understanding of what we did yet. But because I had print background, And because I had my MFA and because they saw that I had those credentials, I was given the opportunities. They were like, well, she could maybe do it. Can you write about Rihanna's hair? She just dyed it red. Okay, I could do that. You know what I mean? Those were the kind of things that AOL Black Voices editor wanted coverage on. Like It was a lot of big celebrity hair news. They started to realize that black hair was worth coverage. You know, not just in your little blog, like this is something that people are caring about and looking for. So that's the kind of stuff that I would just have to cover for them and find the expert who did whatever and interview them and make that a thing. Yeah. And convince them. With the Vogue Italia situation, that was a real eye opener because they saw me as an expert. They recognized my expertise. They wanted me to write about black beauty and natural hair and to talk about my knowledge They just didn't have the budget. So it's like, you know, do you want the glory and the ability to say that you did this? Or do you want to hold out for a paycheck that is not going to come from us at all? (laughs) You know, so so that was one of those opportunities that I took to take, basically just because I was like, well, let me see what I could do here. You know, it was a lot of that in the early days. Having written for that platform is a moment in time because a lot of people can say they have done that. Oh, for sure. Not a lot of people have said they could have participated in that moment in kind of like culture, because it's a really significant culture flashpoint for me. It absolutely was. And you know, it's crazy. I think the whole site is gone. I looked for it, my post the other day. Everything is gone. 
but it did shift the conversation and it showed us the things that we wanted for ourselves were also desirable and necessary in the wider world. So I'm glad that I was part of it, even though I didn't get paid. So let's talk about how did brands start to come to you? How did the business opportunities start to present themselves to you? I think brands started to wake up and realize not necessarily that magazines weren't where it was at, but just that there was another viable avenue that did not understand our value. So they started to see that and they were like, oh, people are reading these. People want to hear what these people think. Let's start sending them products. I mean, I just remember being excited to get, you know, a box of hair products or something. When I went to that Carol's Daughter event, I remember getting some little products from gift bag or, and then after getting the PR contact and I did not have the fancy New York beauty editor contacts, you know what I mean? They had to eventually find me and start sending me stuff. So some of those PR contacts, I still keep in touch with actually. I definitely remember the first advertiser on Afrobella was Anita Grant. Anita Grant is a British natural hair brand. In a British indie natural hair brand, she's still doing her thing. She was the first person who read my site and was like, I want to have an ad on your site. And I had to figure out how to do that. Like, what do you mean an ad? Like a picture? Like, <laughs> like where am I supposed to put it? So I had to figure out all of that. And this is before an entity like Glam came along. So then Glam came along and was like, oh, we're going to sign everybody up to have ads and we're going to start having events. That's how I met Tia the first time, actually. Glam had. So you were part of the Glam Network? I was part of the Glam Network. I was very early in the Glam Network. So let's say by 2008, I was a member of the Glam Network. And I went on one of my first trips to New York and I met Tia and Leanne and India Jewel Jackson. Who's been a guest? I'm going to get Leanne. So everybody else has been a guest. Yeah, it's so funny. So that was how one of the first times that I went to New York and was like, very like that Stevie Wonder New York just like I pictured it like (laughs) (laughs) it was a real eye-opener and we were doing some kind of glam awards Nola Weinstein was there I don't know if you know Nola she was big at glam she's at Twitter now India and Nola were kind of like in charge of the bloggers and they would take us around and show us stuff and I just remember sitting around a long table in a restaurant trying beauty products and writing about them for like a whole afternoon and that's how we all met and we were able to take stuff home after. And I was like, I was able to get like Chanel and an item from NARS for the first time. And that was like a big deal. So that was one of the first beauty experiences where I realized like, I am in the beauty world. You know what I mean? Like that moment. I have arrived. Exactly. And now I will get into my yellow taxi and I feel so, go back to my hotel. (laughs) I felt so special. I definitely remember that. It was a formative experience. Start Right Here is brought to you by Beauty Biz Camp, where we equip and inspire the next generation of industry leaders. Head over to our website, beautybizcamp.com, for more information and sign up for our mailing list so you can stay in the know about our upcoming programming. Tell me about creating a lipstick for Mac. That was one of, if not the first blogger partnership. So this is 2011. Mac Cosmetics had a call to action basically for bloggers to submit their idea. I still have my little sheet that I put together somewhere. So you had to submit an idea. You had to fill out a form and tell them what your concept was, basically. And I have always been a purple person. Always, my whole life. Like, some people start out with one favorite color and shift into something else. I've always been purple. And I've always also loved Prince. And the name of it was just something that was so natural to me. All of my purple life, the first line of Erotic City. I was like, this is what I want this lip glass to be. And here are the colors. And I pulled together like a grid of a bunch of different purples. And I will send you a picture of it so you can see it. Oh, I'd love to see it. And I wonder where the pictures even came from. I'm like, where did I get these? How did I know how to do this? But I sent over the idea and I guess nobody else had that idea because they jumped all over it. They loved it. And it was really interesting being part of that collection. I mean, most of us from that collection are still in touch or still friends, but there's a couple people that I'm not sure what they wound up doing. But what 
an amazing experience that was. I mean, they picked the colors. They told us that we were going to go with them to Toronto to actually Markham, I believe is the name of the town where they produce everything. We got to go into the labs, work with the chemists. Two of the chemists were Caribbean women. And that like, oh my God, it would just filled me with so much joy because one of them was from Guyana and one of them was from Jamaica. And my grandfather was Guyanese. So immediately I was like, oh, my grandfather. So we had a good old time. And I convinced everybody, the three of them, to try on the color with me. Because I wanted to make sure that my purple was not just a purple that would look good on me. So there's a picture somewhere of me and these two other cosmetic chemists of color trying on this color for the first time. And it just made such an impact in my life. Well, that's such an amazing story. And Mac was born in Canada and, you know, Lauder picked it up and kept it. But I'm so glad that they still have Canadian roots in that way. You know, I'm glad to hear that that's still going on. Let's talk about like now the shift. So blogging started turning into influencer. Like what was that shift like for you? It is interesting. The shift started happening and I wasn't necessarily comfortable with the shift especially initially, because I don't love creating video. I'm not a video person. It gives me tremendous anxiety to have to produce video. And I am not good at editing video, even though the irony is I studied film and I did script writing and I've handled a camera from my early days, but it's just not something that comes naturally to me. And I get very stiff and very awkward and I just don't like doing it. So When that started becoming a thing and YouTube started becoming more of a thing, I didn't really know what I was supposed to do there. And for a while, it kind of was like, well, they're doing their thing and I'm going to do my thing, you know. But then it started to be the beauty brands want you to also do that thing. And I didn't really want to, like, I mean, I had to try, you know, I had to try, um, but it didn't necessarily come naturally to me. It's a different skill set. It's a different skill set, and I admire the people who can do it. It requires transparency. It requires a kind of a dynamic personality and a capability for performance that I lack. And I just don't have it. I think people who are great at doing camera work is almost like that spark of energy that you would see in like a Robin Williams interview. And I'm a writer, You know, I'm a writer, so I don't have that. Like, you know what I mean? I can write that for you, but I can't produce it for myself. It's just not natural to me. So I started to realize, like, those kind of opportunities didn't feel right to me if I got them. And I was not able to knock them out of the park. There was a couple of times that I look back in my career where I was offered the opportunity to do red carpet interviews or, you know, I did red carpet interviews for Essence Black Women in Hollywood. I interviewed Lupita Nyong'o and all of these people on the red carpet next to Ty Beauchamp. And I was just like, I'm not good at this. What am I doing here? (laughs) Like, why did you pick me? Um, I could have written the script for it, but actual show up and put me on camera part, I just felt so awkward. I started getting panic attacks. It started to affect me psychologically in a different way. I started to realize trying too hard to be somebody else and to do other things, they always talk about, when I say they, like gurus and people who give you advice about life are always like, get out of your comfort zone and do things outside of your comfort zone. Well, there's benefits to that for sure. But sometimes you're in your comfort zone because that's what your skill set is. And when you keep pushing yourself out of it, it can affect you in a lot of different other negative ways. And that's what I started to experience for myself. It's like, what am I doing? So I realized that I was chasing this illusion of what I thought an influencer lifestyle was supposed to be, or what I thought an influencer should look like, or the work that I thought an influencer should be doing. Especially now in this Instagram age, I realized that I was looking too much at other people's paper. And I needed to look at my own and I needed to just focus on my own and I needed to get back to what my paper should be and get back to the roots that brought me to the beauty industry in the first place. And all I've ever wanted to do and be is right. That's who I started being. Like my first things that I started creating 
in high school were poems. Then I went into writing fiction because that was a natural progression for me. Then I worked for the newspaper. And then I got caught into going from behind the scenes to in front of the scenes for quite some time. And I'm proud of the work that I did in front of the scenes because all I ever wanted to do was inspire other people to do it too. To just look at me and say, if she could do it, I could do it. So I know that I am an influencer in that regard. But the actual act of every day as a photo shoot, that doesn't sit with my personality. It doesn't feel right to me. It doesn't go with what I want my life to look like. And I had to make some conscious decisions and set some boundaries. I think it is brave and honest. And I really appreciate that because I know every day is not a photo shoot for me either. But I do like being in front of the camera, but I have to force myself to do it. So I understand what you say about recognizing your calling and you recognize your calling as writing. It's not necessarily to be an influencer in that traditional way. You do influence people, but not in the Instagram way. Yes, exactly. There's many different avenues to influence. And I know that my path has been influential. I'm not concerned about have I influenced people because I know that I have. I've been told this so many times and it's such a feeling of overwhelming affirmation that you get when you talk to somebody and they're like, I started this because of you. You helped me realize I could do what I'm doing because of you. you know what I mean? Like I love words like pioneer. When people say that about me, it means so much to me because I never aspired to be that, but that is what I became. And if I could do that, then other people can do that, you know? And that's the message that I think the whole blogging and the world of being an influencer and all of that to me, it was the ultimate in democracy because it went from there were gatekeepers and editors and publishing industry that didn't want us to be at that table. And we were like, oh, we're making a table. <laughs> we're making our own table and it's going to be right next to yours and it might get bigger than yours and you might want to sit at our table. And that's exactly what happened. The tide shifted and... Everyone wants to sit at your table now. Let's talk about the evolution of Afrabella. And because I'm thinking this is the evolution of Patrice as well. And who is Afrabella and who is Patrice now? And what do you aspire to do? Oh, that's a great question. I think I started to get too caught up in what I thought Afrabella was supposed to be. At a certain point, I realized I had this perception of Afrabella as being this like perfectly made up and dressed in a way that almost feels a little costumey sometimes to me now. Um, and just a little over the top, you know, because it's the public persona. It felt at a certain time like I was putting on a public persona. Patrice is quieter. Patrice is more thoughtful. Patrice wants to stay home. Um, <laughs> Patrice wants to just be on her computer creating stuff and living her life. Whereas Afrabella is expected to show up and be glamorous and be very warm and friendly and welcoming in a let's take a picture kind of way. It's just a different feeling. There was a time, I will be honest with you, Corinne, within the last year, I did not want to be Afrabella. Last year, we lost my father-in-law and it was a very devastating personal experience. We were there, we witnessed his passing it was a very heartbreaking experience for my husband and for myself. And I came home after that happened and I just didn't want to write. I didn't want to write for a long time for like, let's say he passed away the day before my birthday, March 7th. And I left my husband with his mom for a month or so in Florida so he could help her figure out everything. And I came back to Chicago by myself in the end of March. And from March until, let's say, May, I didn't know how to write about makeup or hair or anything. I didn't want to do it. I was like, every time I tried, it felt stupid. It felt trivial. It felt like, where am I finding this inner spring of I'm supposed to cheer you up by putting this information out there? And at a certain point, you've created something that is bigger than you. 
you've created something where there's expectations from the world. Like, where have you been? You haven't posted to Instagram in a week. Are you okay? I didn't see a blog post last month. And you realize that you've created something that, as my dad told me (laughs) recently, he's like, nobody told you to give yourself homework every day. (laughs) That's what I did. Dad is a wise man. Well, it felt like homework because I think at first it was a joy. First, it was an escape. Yeah. And then it started to feel like homework. And that's actually why I stopped blogging because it felt like homework. After I worked all day, I felt like I had to come home and do work. Exactly. Exactly. And I did that for years. And I realized how many ways that I have affected my life. Like, I mean, back in 14 years ago, when I started Afrobella, I was staying up until three in the morning writing. And now in 2020, I'm still staying up until three in the morning writing. Like, this isn't a normal pattern of life. You know what I mean? Like, and, and what point do you say, I need eight hours. I need my eight hours of sleep and I need to put it down sometimes and have a nine to five. What does that look like? You know what I mean? When you're a writer or a creative, like, is that a thing that we can have? Cause you need your time. You need to refill your cup. So I started to have all of these moments of what am I doing and what is Afrobella? And then I started getting pulled back. And also at that point, I feel like people weren't checking for blogs. There was a time where it was like blogs are yesterday and we're all about Instagram. And all we want you to do is create Instagram content. Oh, you don't have a YouTube channel. Oh, well, then you're not eligible for this opportunity. Things like that, you know, and I just felt like, what am I doing? That This is dumb. And I went back to the drawing board of some of the things that I started to write from that place of this is information that I need. So maybe other people need that helps me to get back to my drawing board. I wrote about my fibroids. I wrote about going to have surgery and dealing with fibroids. I wrote about figuring out my motivation. One of the posts I wrote was like finding your word for the year to help to guide you something that you can write to pull yourself out and not so much focused on beauty not so much focused on hair products and the latest releases, just kind of here's what I'm living with. Here's what I'm going through and that my beauty routine changed, you know, and that my focus had changed. And then something really interesting started to happen within the last, let's say this year, I started writing for other people again as I had stopped doing that. I had really been like, okay, so it needs to be the Afrobella show And it needs to be really focused on creating my own personal brand, which has been great. But as a writer, there's something about having an editor-writer relationship that helps me and that I need and that helps to pull me back to my center. So I had stopped writing for other publications and I had other friends who everybody in the beauty world has had to figure out their own path. You know, you watch these magazines lay off person after person and you're just like, what did each person on that masthead have to do after this ended? It's kind of like the end of an 80s sitcom or movie where you just see the little thing that pops up and -and so-and-so wound up on a farm or so, you know what I mean? Like you just, everybody has to figure it out. It's like we all worked at Blockbuster. Yes. And it's gone. It's gone. What are we going to do, right? And you're not going to make a new blockbuster, right? So are you still renting videos? Are you still watching movies? Like, you know, so it's been really interesting to figure out all of that for myself because what I had to do was say, okay, this friend is copywriting. Interesting. This friend went to work for actual beauty brands and is in-house as like, what is she doing? Marketing, PR, interesting. This friend is freelancing her butt off for every publication under the sun. Interesting. And this friend now has a podcast and is an author. Okay, so here's the different paths that everybody is taking. There is a spectrum of paths that we can go on. You know, people are like, oh, some people are hosting events. Well, not anymore. Things that people would have done and recommended to a blogger to sustain themselves two years ago, that's no longer relevant, you know? Why don't you have a cruise? Why don't you have an event? Like all of that, that's not a thing anymore. So it's like you have to go within yourself and find the core of who you were. So this year, I started freelancing for other publications, not just about beauty, but I write for Food and Wine now, which is a lot of fun. I write for Zora, which I'm loving writing for Zora because they literally are like, just pour your heart out and tell us about your life. 
So I can write anything from how my beauty routine has changed in the pandemic to how much I loved red Kool-Aid as a girl and red drinks being awesome. You know, I've written all kinds of stuff for them. Started writing a little bit for Reader's Digest, which is a little bit more like about protests. And I have a post about natural hair that's coming out for them that's coming out pretty soon. I have a couple of other publications that were on my wish list that now I'm starting to create content for. And I started copywriting. So those are all of the things that I've got going on that are keeping me going, keeping me in the beauty space, keeping me thriving. And I'm still doing Afrobella and I'm still getting Afrobella opportunities, which is an incredible thing. So yeah, I'm busy. I am happy to say I am booked and I am busy. That's great. But I love that you are at peace with the evolution where Afrobella and Patrice are going, as opposed to trying to chase something that's not you, that doesn't feel good in the heart, doesn't feel good in the soul. How long are you going to try to make fetch happen? You know what I mean? Before you start to realize like this is not, it just starts to feel like the opposite of what is healthy for you. And that was my experience. Absolutely. In addition to writing for other people, what else are you doing? So in addition to writing for other people, other publications, I launched a copywriting business and my first client was June, in the beginning of June. And I think I've had a different client almost every week since then. It's been amazing. How are you with rewrites? Well, okay. I mean, that's the part of it that's not fun, right? The part of it that is least fun is having to adapt to somebody else's needs, having to adapt to somebody else's voice. But I will say, this is going to sound cocky. I don't want to sound cocky. Why not? Okay, because of the credibility I have and because of the voice that I have and because of the longevity that I have had, they respect what I'm trying to do. These brands are coming to me because they know me, right? And they're excited that instead of trying to hire me on that side of influencer side, they can actually work with me to create content in-house or for their brand or for their packaging or whatever. So I've been doing everything from blog posts for beauty brands to label copy for launching their new products to just overall descriptions on their website that they can use on Instagram or wherever they want. And it has been a really interesting way to go back to my roots. It has been an eye-opener from a perspective of a person who's been on the side of writing about these products and having these people pitch me to let me help you get to the stage where you can pitch yourself or be pitched or be seen as an editor by an editor as something you'd want to write about. So it's kind of like, you know, using the skills that I've been honing for the past couple of years and then going behind the scenes. So that's been great. How could, so, because brands do listen to this podcast. Okay. How can people get in touch with you if they're interested in your services? Do you have a website? Yeah, I'm launching a website specifically for this. What I did is I have a a little secret back channel site. If afrabella.com slash work dash with dash me, you'll see it. It's not on the main page. It's something that I've been sending to people. Just kind of like, you know, here's what I've been offering. But I am working on an actual copywriting site. I just wanted to have enough clients under my belt that I had testimonials. But now I've had so many, I definitely could get some testimonials going. It's just carving out the time to create the site while I'm trying to manage and juggle all of these multiple deadlines. So like, all right, you know what? I'm going to launch the site probably by the end of the year. But in the meantime, I would have had over 10 copywriting clients by then. That's fantastic that you've, in this evolution, been able to add that to your wheelhouse. Listen, we have to keep our heads above water however we can. And that is what people are asking me. How are you doing? I always use this line from good times. I am keeping my head above water and making a wave when I can. That is all I can do. You know, I mean, this was one of the ways that felt comfortable. It felt right. And I am finding clients who pitched me 13 years ago. People who I've known over 10 years are the ones who are hiring me to do this work. So it feels good because it lets me know that the respect is genuine and and that these people are understanding what I bring to the table. So there's a mutual respect that's there. And it's been very fulfilling work. What advice would you offer somebody who wanted to be Afrobella or to be Patrice in the future? I mean, my advice is you have to be you. I got to where I am by being me. You have to be you. But you can, of course, look to what other people do and find 
those people who you admire, those people you respect and build those relationships. The advice I would give is don't get overwhelmed by the fact that we are in an oversaturated time because I think that it's easy to look at Instagram or Twitter or YouTube and just feel like, oh, everything has been said, everything has been done, everybody's doing this already. What perspective and knowledge do you have that makes your story worth telling? What brings you to the table that would make people want to listen to what you have to say? It can't be just from copying what other people are doing. And it can't just be because you're pretty or you're cute. I mean, that gets you to a certain point, but it's not going to sustain you for a decade. It's not going to sustain you for over a decade if that is your goal. I think it's just a matter of being really honest with yourself and figuring out what your goals actually are and checking in with yourself periodically to make sure that those are still your goals. And if they're not, then that's okay. What are they now? It's just a constant reassessment. And trying to figure out this thing in a way that feels organic and that feels right for you. And that allows you to pay your bills in a way that lets you still respect yourself. I love the fact that you can pay your bills, respect yourself, be in integrity, and you can change your mind about your goals. Yes, absolutely. We're all just learning and growing and figuring it out. And that's all we can really do. Be your best self. What kind of boundaries and stumbling block have you encountered in the beauty industry? I feel like for myself, like I've been very fortunate in a lot of ways, but I feel recently I'm seeing so much ageism in the industry and I'm seeing that that is a major stumbling block for a lot of us. I think that once you hit 38, people start wanting different faces for the campaigns or the opportunities start going to people who are younger than you. Even if it's for a skincare thing, that might be for people who are older than you they want somebody who's under 35 to sell it or to be the face of the brand. And that was something that I started to encounter that I realized that I was chasing opportunities that started to feel increasingly younger. I would go to events and realize that I was probably the oldest person there next to the head of marketing or whoever was at the head of the table. And these younger influencers were less and less interested in engaging with people who were older than them or who they saw as not being part of their field, even though you may have pioneered it. Originated the field, exactly. <laughs> but there's room for all of us to just be nice and be friendly. And it started to feel very competitive sometimes when I went into these spaces. And I'm like, there's no need for that. Because with good luck and good work, you too will age in this industry. And that should be the goal and the hope that you have is that you can sustain it long enough to feel that way. Yeah. And people say to me, oh, it's so good that you're an entrepreneur. It's not, I say, well, it's not like I had a choice because after you're saying 35, 38, anybody over 40, but I'm over 50. And in other industries, you're not seen as old, but in this industry, you're seen as ancient. Even if you know technology, even if you know lots of things that are happening currently and can adapt to those things, you're not seen as valuable. It's ridiculous. And even if you're selling a product or speaking to products that are specifically made for women who are in your exact demographic, you know what I mean? Like some of the major skincare brands, it surprises me. They'll throw in an older person for a campaign or two, but it's like to actually hire influencers or just, you know, kind of fill out the flesh out the full campaign. Work with the people who are commensurate with what you're trying to sell. It just makes sense. It does. <laughs> and I think also once the industry executives hit those ages, they see that inside the organizations that that same kind of ageism actually is present as well. So Absolutely. I think it exists across industries. You know, I remember speaking to a person in the travel space who was in travel PR and she was telling me at age 28, the women age out. I was like, 28? Are you serious? But she was and she moved on and she moved into a different industry when she hit 30. You know, I think that we create these little bubbles for ourselves that are unrealistic. And maybe 2020 will be a year where that all has to change. Yeah, there's a reckoning on so many different fronts. Maybe it's time that we look at that as well, this ageism. Yeah. Now let's move on to our fast track questions. Oh, you were working at the beauty store. So what was the first beauty product you ever bought or tried? Ooh. 
So Trinidad has a brand that is actually popular worldwide, Sasha Cosmetics. Okay. So Sasha Cosmetics is a Trinidad-based beauty brand. And I used to sell a lot of their lipsticks. And I remember they had a very pale, like an icy pink, might have been called Vixen Pink or something ridiculous like that. It had that frost to it. And I wanted that color so bad, but that was not a good look for me. I wanted that color. I think I may have wanted to buy it. And my aunt actually convinced me, try this one instead. So the first one that I, she actually bought it for me. So this is kind of not really answering your question. The first lipstick I had that was for me is Copper Sunset by Sasha Cosmetics. Do they still make it? Yes, they do. And it's a great color. Oh, wow. What's the latest beauty product you try? So these days, my beauty regimen has changed so much. I'm not wearing a lot of makeup these days. I'm not doing, you know, the usual stuff. The most recent product that I have tried... It could be hair, it could be fragrance, it could be skincare. Okay, can it be body care? Oh, absolutely. All of that is in beauty. Okay, so there's a brand that is called... Is it Love Lori? Let me take a look. It's right over here. And... It's a woman that I've known for years, and I think she used to be more in the beauty PR side, and now she's got foot care products. So this is her pumice stone soap, and it's Love Lori. She's got this foot cream that I have been using, and it's got like 40% urea in it, and it is like the most foot softening. So that's been my thing lately. I'm like, let me get some fuzzy socks, and let me put on this foot cream because I don't really like the whole peel, you know what I mean? Like the beauty peel thing. Like, I think it's necessary a couple times a year, maybe. But in general, I just want something that's either got a salicylic acid or something that's going to keep my feet soft. So as we shift from fall into winter, those are the kind of beauty products that I've been using. What's the beauty advice you live by or leave alone? One of the things my mom has always said is beauty is as beauty does. That is the beauty advice that I try to live by. How can you embrace yourself or label yourself as a beautiful person if you are not acting and treating the world with beauty and treating your friends with beauty, treating your peers with beauty? So that's something that I try to live by. Like just try to be as nice and as kind and as gentle and as sweet as a person as you can be because that's how you maintain your inner sweetness and your inner softness. Beauty advice that I would leave alone is to try to look like other people or try to, you know, adopt what other people are doing. There's definitely been times that I've looked at other people's makeup or other people's hair or other people's things and wanted it for myself or tried to be more like whatever. And, you know, I mean, you have to embrace and love yours at the end of the day, no matter what. At the end of it all, You might have a protective style and you might have on amazing makeup, but you still have to take it out and you still have to wash your face and you still have to love what is underneath all of that. Wash and go or twist out? It's been twist out lately. I used to be a wash and go all day. I was wash and go all day. And now that we are in this pandemic time, I'm finding that there's something so meditative about twisting my hair. And just this morning, this is my twist out. This might not apply, but if you had to pick between Big Chop or Protective Style? I would pick a Big Chop. Something so freeing about it, you know? Who is your natural hair icon? It used to be Diana Ross. Diana Ross was always the person I looked to, and um, I used to want that hair. Like I said, Central Park. I mean, I remember watching that concert, and that was just such a formative moment when she was in the rain. But now I look back, and I'm like, you know, Roberta Flack also had beautiful hair. Yes. And she wasn't necessarily portrayed as this woman that you would look to. But I mean, her fro was on point. And right now, I feel like there's so many of us who are out here rocking our natural hair or styles that are evocative of natural. Um, As I get older, though, my natural hair icon is probably going to be Toni Morrison because I look at what her hair wound up being. Those gray locks. There's a picture of her from the back where her locks are braided and it just looks like poetry. That's something I look at and I look at, you know, as a woman grows older, I'm like, that is just, it just looks like wisdom to me. So that's what I'm looking at these days. That is so deep. That's where we're going to stop. 
Wow. Wow. That is that she looks like wisdom is is amazing. This has been such a wonderful conversation. I really, really applaud how you decided to move in this space. Thank you. That's our show for today. Remember that there's more than one way to the top. And the most important step is the first one. So start right here. 